All right, happy Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah, you would think that, you know, the guys in the room would be like, yeah, happy Mother's Day, but no, they sat there, (laughs) sat there. Good grief, let's try this one more time. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, okay, that's that's better, it's better. Guys, we're gonna have a special meeting after church. Good grief, really happy Mother's Day. Uh, I know for uh, a lot of you, that a day like today is something to celebrate. You look and you think, you know, as, as I look at our own family, we look at Angela, the, the mom in our family, we think, man, what sacrifice, uh, what relentless love, what service. Uh, it's profound and it's the, kind of, it's the kind of impact that ripples into generations. It's, it's not just one generation, but it, it ripples into all of them. And if you're like me, my mom has passed on. And so you, you, you look at a day like today and you, it's, it's great and grievous at the same time. You wish, you know, you were, you were sitting here with your mom. And I understand that uh, too. And so today, as we celebrate mom, we celebrate the moms that have already gone on and that are cheering us on as a faithful, a faithful cloud of witnesses. So the scripture says, and also, we celebrate the ones that are here. And so, moms, grandmoms, thanks for all you do. Uh, wow. Big, 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 important sacrifice. Big, big, important role uh, in our families, in our church, in our culture. So, thank you uh, for that. I just want to pray over you, if I can, before we start. Father, we're really, really grateful uh, for the women in our lives that have been mom. God, we, uh, we're thankful for every lesson that we've learned, every, every, love, every bit of love that's been shown, every uh, aspect of motherhood that has impacted and influenced our lives. Uh, God, I pray for people that grieve the loss of their mom today. Um, God, I just pray that you would ease their burden, allow them to grieve with hope. Uh, Father, for people that have pain associated with their family of origin or, or parents, God, I pray that you would bring healing to their, their wounds today. We love you so much, and uh, thank you for, for our wives and our mothers and our grandmothers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are going to be in John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8 will look specifically at verses 31 to 32. And we're in a series, a four-week series called Saturation. We started it last week. And I defined saturation like this. I said that saturation in the 4B area, the 4B area again is the Beltway to the beach and the Bay to Brazoria County. That's 600,000 people. Gospel saturation in, in this region would mean that everybody in the region is connected to someone who loves Jesus, walks with Jesus, and will share the good news of Jesus with them and help them also walk with Jesus. So it doesn't mean that all 600,000 people come to Christ. It means that all 600,000 people are connected with someone who loves Jesus and is intently praying for them and open 
into sharing the gospel with them. So our vision as a church is to saturate the 4B area with the gospel by restoring people, families, and churches. And really, there are about four things that we have to own in order to to see saturation happen in our lifetime. Last week, we talked about the importance of kingdom perspective. This week, I want to talk about what it means to be a disciple, a disciple. And that's an interesting question because a lot of people have a lot of different definitions for what it means to be a follower of Christ or a disciple. In the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to, we're going to hear about Jews who believed in him that weren't really his disciples. So let's stand and read John chapter 8, 31 and 32. And if you're our guest, uh, thanks for being here. We say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish God's word from my own. Here's what the scripture says. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You can be seated. Like I said, Jesus is speaking to Jews who, according to the text, had believed in him. They were properly religious. Uh, They apparently expressed their belief in Jesus. But in what is, we find here, a pointed conversation, Jesus questions their authenticity and exposes them like this. In John 8, 43 and 44, he says this to the same people, it says, are believers in him. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, that's quite a contrast to the Jews who had believed in him. Now he's calling them uh, children of the father of lies. Now, how can that be? And really, we have to understand that in that culture and in our culture, there are three kinds of people in the world and in the church, really, There are non-disciples of Jesus. These are people that don't follow Jesus. There are two people who think they're disciples of Jesus, but are not. And three, there there are people who are truly disciples of Jesus. Three kinds of people. Um, It's interesting to note how Jesus separates all that. And to answer the question, how do we know if we really are disciples of Jesus? And I just want to walk through slowly these two verses because it answers the question, how do I know if I'm a disciple of Jesus? Because Jesus gives us the answer here. So let me just make two observations. The first one is this, is that an authentic disciple of Jesus abides in his word. An authentic disciple of Jesus abides in his word. So look what it says. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And what does that mean? So the word abide is a Greek word, meno, which means to abide or to remain or to continue in. 
So these are people, disciples of Jesus are people who remain in the words of Jesus. They continue in the words of Jesus. In fact, they, uh, they live, they sit in the words of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus. So a lot of times I think about it like this, like if we, ha- we, we have a Bible, you have a Bible, you have an app. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you and you can take it home with you. But when you think about what it means to meno, to abide in the word of Jesus, really what you're doing each and every time you come to the word is you're taking that word and you're just, you're just putting it here. In your own heart, you're taking it and you're putting it in your heart. And it's a process. It's a day-to-day kind of remaining, abiding, continuing. This is how we hear God. And do you know that disciples of Jesus, the most basic definition of a disciple of Jesus is someone who hears and obeys Jesus. Someone who hears and obeys Jesus. Jesus. That's how you can tell if someone is a disciple of Jesus. So uh, Jesus says to these who said they believed in him, these Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So if you remain in my word, then you are, and it gives us another Greek word, alethos, which gets translated truly. It can also mean authentically. You are truly or authentically my disciples. So there are some people who think they are disciples, but they're inauthentic or they aren't truly disciples of Jesus. There are other people who truly are disciples of Jesus and Jesus uh, separates those two crowds this way. Those that abide in my word, those that hear my word, that remain in it, that continue in in it, they are authentically my disciples. Now, why does Jesus have this viewpoint? His viewpoint about discipleship is relational. It's completely relational. It's not content-driven. So the idea is not to get all the the fill-in-the-blanks right, all the bullet points correct. It's relational. So a rabbinic discipleship model, which is obviously what Jesus is working out here in the first century in the pages of the the gospel, is very relational. When Jesus says uh, to, to call someone to be a disciple, he doesn't say, come to a class. He says, come follow me. And you read that in the scriptures, the earliest disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He literally means put everything down. Uh, Get your feet moving in the same direction that I'm moving. Stay close to me and follow me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Continue in me. Listen and obey me. Hear and obey me. This is what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus. It's a, it's a rabbinic model. It's a walk in my way kind of model. It's not just knowing the right answers. It's being close to Jesus and walking the way Jesus walks. 
These are the ones that are truly his disciples. Those who remain in his word, they take it, they put it in their heart on a regular basis, and they, they authentically, they are his disciple because they are walking in this way. I want to show you a picture that kind of illustrates this point, at least to me. I hope that it will illustrate the point to you. So that guy on the right, the tall guy in the white shirt, his name is Marty O'Connor. He is a Chicago boy, Irishman. He's a brute. I'm not going to lie. But he's a follower of Jesus. Without Jesus, this guy would be a terrible dude. He knows it. If he's listening, he knows it's true. He's told me the story. He would be a terrible dude. But he's he's walked with Jesus for a long time. He's probably 15 years older than me. This picture was probably taken in 2008, something like that, as evidenced by my very brown hair in the picture. This is in a street in Israel in a site called Bedshan. And Marty is teaching me how to disciple people in Israel. And look where we, look how we are. Someone took this picture from the back of the line. There's 50 people behind this. But I'm in training. And the beginning of that training, it looked like I was behind him watching everything that he did. I just got the water for people. And, you know, if they needed something, I got it. And if he needed something, I got it. I was at the end of the line. But soon I I came right behind him. So that I was hearing everything that he, you know, why, why take this way and not that way? Why, why go up there and not over there? I was learning the, the text and context from him. I was learning about Jesus because what we're trying to teach people when we take people to Israel is this one thing. Come follow me. That's it. Come follow me. And so by this time in the training, I'm walking beside him. He's already invested probably three years in me at that point. And now we're leading together. And then pretty soon next year after this, Marty would drop to the back of the line. He's getting everybody's water. He's getting, you know, anything I need, anything like that. And at the end of the night, we're like talking. Here's what you did well. Here's what you didn't do well. You should do this better. Don't get lost. You were lost like three times in Israel. Nobody knew, but I knew, you know, that kind of thing. And now he doesn't go with me anymore. He put everything I needed in my bones. He discipled me. This is a picture of how Jesus makes disciples. If you watch what Jesus does in the scriptures, he says, come follow me. They follow him for three years. Then toward the end of his life, he begins to prepare them for, I'm going to be crucified and resurrected. I'm going to send to heaven. I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to be in your bones, inside of you. Jesus taught them everything they needed to know in those three years to go do what they had to do, which was huge take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the uh, earth, right? And then he left. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He gave him the Spirit. And those disciples, they, they, they stayed in him. They abided in him. They died like him for the cause. They walked like him. They spoke like him. They prayed like him. They died like him. 
They were a lot like their disciples. It's relationally based and it's, it's abide in me. Remain in my words, hear the conversation, let's talk, let's walk together. So an authentic disciple of Jesus abides in his word. The second observation that I would make here is that an an authentic disciple of Jesus knows the truth. And the simplicity of that is he or she knows the truth because he or she has been abiding in his word. Now, if you follow the scripture in verse 32, it says, uh, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you abide in me, and you're truly my disciples, you will know the truth. That word know is gnosko. It's to know experientially. So it's, it's not just to know content, but it's to actually live it with your head, heart, hands, and feet. It's to obey. So now we have a disciple who hears and obeys an authentic disciple of Jesus knows the truth and he experiences it. He obeys it. How does that disciple of Jesus hear the word of Jesus and obey it on a daily basis? How does that miraculous thing happen? And I'm going to go so far as to say this little piece that I'm getting ready to give you practically is everything you need to take the word of God and put it in your heart. It's going to take some discipline on your part. This is simple, but it's exactly, I think what we have to do or something like it in order to have these words on, on our heart to abide in them. So I'm going to use this illustration. I've used a billion times before. I call it the SOAP illustration. It's just an acronym for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And so here's what you have to do. Your part, God's going to do his part. He's going to speak to you by his spirit through his word, but you have a part. First part is I got to make a time every day to take the words of God and remain in them. It sounds simple, but if we surveyed the congregation, we would find it's hard for people to get to this little thing of taking the words of God on a daily basis, putting them in their hearts, reading them. So I want to give you the simplest way I know how this is, this is what I do every day. And, and uh, I hope that you'll do it. So I'm going to show you a page from my journal. This is so my journal. Some people hate journaling. This is authentic. You can tell by the coffee stain on the bottom. Uh, it's not, it's not long. It, it, this particular section was uh, April 25th. And I was looking at, James chapter two is devotional for me. This wasn't for you. It's not for a sermon, not for teaching. This is for me, my own heart. And so S is scripture. So out of that section of scripture, what pops out at me? It doesn't sound like a very hermeneutically correct, you know, sort of question, but that's the question I ask. Like, Holy Spirit, speak to me. What pops out of me, out at me in this particular section? Oh, observation, what observations do I make about this particular section of scripture that I, I need to know? What does it say? A, application. Why do I need to know it? What do I need to do because of it? P, prayer. Uh, Lord, the prayer could be, Lord, help me with this. You know, I'm 
I'm terrible. This one was about uh, partiality, playing favorites in the body and making sure that, that we see everybody and love everybody with the Imago Day, no matter their background, their situation, their socioeconomic level, whatever, that, that our love is not partial. It's impartial, like Jesus's was. So I was praying that day, Lord, my heart resonates with this prayer. Help me to love all people like you do. Help me with that, because sometimes I don't. So help me with that, right? This is, this is basic. You can even... Fill your coffee in the middle of it. God's not going to get mad. It's basic. This doesn't take a long time. If you know what you're reading, I'm in the book of James. I'm just reading the next section. Okay. Uh, It doesn't take a long time. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It could take you an hour if you had the time, if you wanted to take the time. But I'm going to tell you, if you took 15 minutes every day over the course of time, your life will change. 15 minutes every day over the course of time, your life will change. You'd think that's simple, right? Soap, scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal because Jesus says that if you're truly my disciples, you'll abide in my word. You'll hear and obey. Well, how am I going to know how to obey if I don't know what he said? So I have to hear it. And I might get in a little 15 minute chunks. One at a time every day, but I need to to do it. We've put in your worship guide today kind of a guide for how to soap. A lot of you didn't grab these when you came in. When you go out, they're on the back and and the podiums, right as you go out the door. You need to grab this today just for this reason. So that you have the understanding of what this is and and maybe how to ask yourself the questions, how to read the scriptures. But you you don't have to use soap. But you have to have some method to discipline yourself to take the time in the mundane aspect of your life, whether it's early in the morning or late at night or at lunch on your break, whatever, to go to the word and abide in it. Here's the third observation I would make. An authentic disciple of Jesus is set free by the truth. So look at verse 32, the last part of it. It says, um, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So these Jewish believers that we're talking about in the beginning of this text, they didn't actually believe that they needed to be set free. Uh, After all, they were children of Abraham. They were the chosen ones. Like, why would we need to be set free? Free. In fact, the, the, the text says they said of themselves, we weren't born into sexual immorality. What they're saying there is, in other words, we're not born into sin like you're born into sin. Well, this actually, in this lie, this theological lie, they found their greatest bondage. And that's the thing. Oftentimes, lies keep us from being set free. It keeps us from the truth. And I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it. But what lies do we believe that keep us from being set free? Because disciples of Jesus are set free. Authentic disciples of Jesus are set free. So what lies do we believe that keep us from being set free? I, I could list hundreds but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, take three in the vein of the context 
that we're talking today. The first lie that I think that we believe when it comes to all this understanding of truth and being set free is, number one, I don't need to abide in the truth because I'm too busy. I'm too busy. It's a simple little lie. Uh, everybody's busy, you're busy, I'm busy, everybody's busy. It's a simple little lie that, that says you don't, you don't have time for that, you have too much to do. And really the reality is the crazier your life gets, the more you need this. <laughs> and so don't buy the lie. You'll actually find yourself in bondage that comes from busyness pretty soon. And so lie number one, I don't need to abide in the word because I'm too busy. The second thing uh, that people uh, might say is um, that have been in church for a long time. Second lie they they might believe is I already know it. I really don't need to read it again. Um, That's a lie. Why Why is it a lie? Even if you've read the Bible from start to finish. Why is it a lie? Because every time you come to the scriptures, this is the word of God. That's why we say the very words of God. It's different than every other book. So anytime you come to the scripture with open ears, the Holy Spirit of God intends to speak to you about you and about God and about other things that are going on in your life. And it's relational. So maybe you do know the content. Maybe you did memorize all 66 books of the Bible. Who cares? What you need is a relational sitting in the word with the Holy Spirit so you know Jesus better. So you know how to walk in him. It's a big lie to say, I already know it. But here's a third one that I think people come to to this with is like, I'm not even going to try because I can't understand it can't understand it um the truth of the matter is there are some parts of the bible that are hard to understand all for all of us it doesn't matter how many degrees you have how, how many you know anything there's parts of the bible that are hard to understand partially because we're out of context we're 21st century westerners these are you know in the gospels first century easterners uh before that you know just way different context different language, different culture. I mean, some of it is that. Uh, Some of it is that God is way bigger than our human finite understanding. He's supernatural. He's not natural. And so we come at this, uh, you know, there are some things we're not going to understand. But if you say, I'm not going to read it because I I can't understand it, that would be a, a lie from the enemy because the enemy wants to keep you out of the word. Because when you're in the word and this little increments each day, your life is still going to go up and down like this, but you're going to experience freedom. And the enemy is trying to make you be in bondage your whole life. Bondage to sin, bondage to death, right? And so um, these three lies, and again, we could list hundreds of them, get in the way of good people walking in freedom in Christ every day because they simply don't abide in his word. When you, when you abide in his word, you kind of know how to do, do things that you wouldn't know how to do otherwise, how to approach things. I'm not saying you never get to the end of yourself, but I am saying if you've been abiding and, and, and it's in these increments over time, what you will find is wisdom that comes from God. What you will find is direction from his Holy Spirit. 
What you'll find is examples in the scriptures for how people walked in really difficult or sufferous times or how they celebrated on the, in the best of times. Those are some of the lies we believe. The truth is, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Like, look, Jesus has set us free. If we're truly his disciples, we can walk in his truth. And we don't have to be back in the cage, the bondage of sin and death. We've been set free. John eight thirty six. later in this particular passage, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Authentic disciples of Jesus are free from the law of sin and death and walk in the way of grace and righteousness of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you never sin. It means that you walk in grace, that you abide in him, you hear him and you obey him. You don't want to sin. But when you sin, you're quick to repent. And receive his grace. You walk in his grace and righteousness. That way you are free. And do you know what? Free people, free people. Did you know that? Free people, free people. So we're talking about saturating the four B area with the gospel. It's really important that we have authentic followers of Jesus Christ who know the truth and have been set free. Have been set free. See, if you're not an authentic follower of Jesus, you don't abide in the word, you don't realize the depth of your freedom, you're still in a cage, you're not apt to invite people to be a part of what is the good news of Jesus Christ if you can't get out of your own addiction or sin or bondage or whatever, because you're, 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 you're not free. And so free people, free people, and it may sound simple, but I believe Freedom starts with remaining in the word of Christ in a relationship with him on a regular basis. You may need help. You may need community to come alongside you to to help you work through things and all those kinds of things. But if you're not soaping or you're not remaining, you're not going to experience uh, freedom. And if we want to see saturation of the forbiary with the gospel... That is going to take disciples of Jesus who realize what a grace it is to be out of the cage that is the law of sin and death and be free, be transformed. When, when, you know, when, when, uh, when you believe in something, you will share it. If you've experienced freedom, you will freely give it. Because it's the greatest thing that you've ever experienced in your life. You know, like, there's no way I can behave my way out of this. But Jesus did it for me. He rescued me by his blood on the cross. He died so that I could be set free. So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And free people, free people. One last verse as we close today. John 15, 1 to 5. Jesus was teaching his disciples. And he said, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So saturating the four area with the gospel by restoring people, families, and churches will require disciples of Jesus from many churches in the Forby area that are true and authentic, that have been set free because when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And they remain, they abide. You know that John 15 passage is this picture of a, of a vineyard. And he's saying to us, you know, we'll never, we'll never make the Jesus fruit, if we don't stay connected to the Jesus vine. So there are many layers of crazy in our culture today. So many layers. And everybody has a favorite that they want to point to. This is the craziest thing right now, or that's the craziest thing right now. But let me just say this. If the church of Jesus Christ learned the power of abiding in the word of Christ and walking in his way by his spirit. If we became people who hear and obey, the culture would be impacted. Might not get any easier, but it would be impacted dramatically. We would see free people freeing people from the law of sin and death by sharing the gospel, by bearing fruit. And all that's going to begin, it's, it's as simple as this. In your closet, at your desk, wherever you go to find a quiet place, you spend every day, a few minutes a day, taking these words and putting them here. Remaining, abiding, this is what a true disciple of Jesus is, is one who hears and obeys Jesus. They can always tell. Uh, it's f- very apparent. People who hear and, and obey. It's very clear. You can say anything. You can say, I'm a follower of Jesus. You can, you can, you can say anything. It's very clear, people who hear and obey, because they, they bear fruit and so prove to be disciples. This is what we need. So we talked about kingdom last week. Within the kingdom, then, we have to be truly authentic disciples of Jesus. Not about content, about relationship. Think about that picture of me and Marty walking side by side. That's you and Jesus. When you open your Bible and you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and he plants his word in your heart, that's what you need. That's what we need. That's what the Forby area needs. That's your family needs. That's your marriage needs. That's what your life needs at the very foundational level. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I just ask Jesus to speak to you.
Father, we come to you today and uh, we have read your word and we hear what you're saying, Jesus, about being truly disciples, authentic disciples. We hear you saying that authentic disciples abide in your word. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they would be drawn to you by your spirit. For people that are far from God, that that maybe don't even have a relationship with you, Father, that by your Spirit you would you would draw them to yourself, that they would they would take a step toward you today in faith, believing that you're the God who can change everything. Father, I pray for people here who know you but just have not been abiding in the Word. I pray that you would draw them to your word, that you would speak to them as they read your word in ways they can hear. Father, that your spirit would minister to them every time they sit and open that word and, and focus on you. Help us to walk in it, God. Let it not be just content. Help it come out in our words, in our heart, our, our thoughts, our hands, and the work of our hands, the direction of our feet. Father, help us to be true disciples, people who walk with you, who relate with you daily, who uh, hear your voice and obey you. So we love you so much in Christ's name. Amen.